Hi, friend. Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is a show that's meant to help you remember who you truly are. I'm Ashley Stahl, a career expert, the author of the new book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. It's now available everywhere books are sold. And it's my honor to bring you guest conversations or even a solo episode with me every single week, all designed to help you elevate your confidence in work, in love, and in life. This is a place for you to reconnect to who you truly are, what you truly want, and to really heal from anything that is telling you that you are otherwise. Wherever you are, I am so grateful to be here in your ears. And I also want to give a shout out with so much thanks to our sponsor, Organifi. You can find them over at Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And when you use the U-Turn checkout code, you get 20% off your order. They make the most magical elixirs, whether it's powders for you to get your greens on every day, really tasty, clean protein powders to add into your diet. I have them every single morning. Probiotic powders to help you really heal and strengthen your immune system. So much more. Now let's get in to this week's conversation. Even if you're saying, I don't watch porn, I'm not into that, I, I know it's not real, blah, 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 it's in the air. It is so thick in the air, it's in the ethers, we all pick it up, we're like antenna. So we pick up these attitudes about sex, our bodies and other people's bodies. It's crazy, you can just Google the word pussy and watch what comes up, it's insane. So we're not learning about sex in a healthy way. And how are we supposed to then educate ourselves and then train ourselves in a whole new consciousness once we get into a partnership? It's really tricky. So I would say like if you are in a partnership or you're wanting one, very important to re-educate yourself about what sex means to you, what you want it to mean to you. U-Turners. It's Ash here, and I'm so excited we've got an unusual topic today in the love category, and it is so welcome, and it's all about why your sexual desire changes, comes, goes, all of the things. I wanted to bring on Eva Clay. She's a clinical sexologist and a psychologist, and she has so much to say on this topic of keeping a healthy libido and um, what it really means when it dips. So I'm really excited. Eva, thank you so much for being on the show. Hi. Happy to be here. It means so much that you're taking the time out of your day to talk to us about this. Let's just dive straight in. Like, What got you so interested in studying sex and helping people with it? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. I was kind of like born this way. I, I hear a lot of sex, sex sexologists say this, that um, I've always been fascinated with human connection. Mm-hmm. And sex is just, of course, one facet of human connection, but specifically because it's such a big, important part of our lives, right? And it, we so rarely talk about it very directly. And what I find in my 24 years or so of doing this is that I'm always looking for ways of empowering women and trying 
new approaches and reading new methodologies and new philosophies about like what makes a woman a rock star in the world and what makes her happy. And in my 24 years of doing this, what I have found is that when women are sexually fulfilled and satisfied, then they're happier and they make more money and they're more successful in their work and in their career. So I feel like it's my responsibility to talk about sex and get women super happy, juiced up and fulfilled. Mm, Beautiful. Okay. And I, I know that, you know, I cannot possibly be the first person who after a certain point of dating, things start to feel a little less flowy sexually. Like, you know, maybe you found the love of your life and things are really beautiful for a year or two. And then inevitably there's always a dip in libido, whether it comes back or not. Um, what, what do you know from a scientific standpoint or just from an emotional standpoint, like what is going on that this seems to just be the thing that happens? (laughs) Well, yes. There's a myth that it's inevitable, that inevitably over time, you're going to start to feel less hot for your partner. Mm-hmm. And that that's normal, it's to be expected. And I'm here to say, uh-uh, no, it's not. <laughs> we have installed that expectation into our relationships. And here's the problem it, it, the reason often why it happens, why we start to feel less attracted to our partner, is because we haven't cultivated a deep root of what sex really means to us and what part sex has to play in our relationship and in our connection. So most people, and this you know, might include you or any of you listening right now, you kind of go into default when it comes to sex. You meet someone great, you're in love, the sex is hot, it's new, you're discovering each other, you're super excited to have someone, and the sex is great, or you feel attracted to them, and then it peters, but because you've been having sex by default, meaning you're letting chemistry lead your sex life, which is a huge mistake (laughs) if if you're doing that. Because it's like, I call it, you're, you're leaning on novelty. You're leaning on the fact that this is a new partner and a new relationship to carry the wave of desire for you. But that's not a sustainable way of doing it. We have to build other structures. We have to build other agreements and Um, go into relationship really with an expansion mindset, meaning understanding that your sex is inevitably going to change over time, that it doesn't necessarily mean it has to get worse or less exciting, but it's going to change because our bodies change, our relationship changes, our context, our stress levels changes. And so if you can see your sex life as this like ever expanding universe, that it's this lifelong adventure, it's going to have many twists and turns you have a baby, it's going to change, Mm. you know, then we can approach our sexuality with more curiosity and see it as this mm, adventure. And sometimes it's a puzzle that we need to like have a sit down with and look us straight in the eye and figure it out. Mm. It's a healthier mindset. Okay. So I think you know, a lot of people I've come across have felt really sexually uncomfortable. Like for example, I remember growing up and whenever I'd watch a movie with my parents, maybe it'd be like PG 13. And then like some sex scene would come on and it would just be like, obviously it'd only be so explicit if it's PG 13, but it was enough where like my parents got uncomfortable. I would get uncomfortable as their kid, you know, like we would just have this whole exchange in silence in the room. 
And um, I know a lot of people have grown up where their parents or just the people around them have treated the topic of sex with some level of maybe not shame, but like taboo. What role do you think this plays in people's exploration or like what can people reflect on when it comes to their upbringing to maybe break through to their next level and notice these these blocks that maybe they adopted over time? Mm, yeah, great question. And it's so funny as you were uh, presenting that scenario. I'm like, I used to see sex scenes and get super excited, not like sexually excited, but I was so curious. I'm like, oh, how are they doing that? What's going on? What does she think of that? I'm like, already I was like dissecting all of the dynamics of this, the sex scenes. So yes, most people are vastly uncomfortable talking about sex because it, our our culture, our you know Western culture, Western religion, and not even in the West, but just it's very uncommon. I would say, with the exception of maybe some cultures in Europe, that sex is a very normal, natural, healthy thing, and that sexual pleasure is an important part of life. Mm. And so, of course, like growing up and coming into this. In our culture, specifically in the U.S., in most of the West, we have a very dichotomous relationship with sex. It's it's either shameful, we don't talk about it, it's embarrassing, it's uncomfortable. We only talk about it when there's a problem. Like mm-hmm. we go to our doctor, we see a psychologist or something. Or it's completely blown out. Like, you know, look at the porn industry and the sex worker industry and like nothing against any of those entities, but it's like all or nothing black and white. Mm. And what I'm a proponent of here, what I'm suggesting is the middle ground of seeing sex as something you can talk about over breakfast, Mm. you know, something that you can casually bring into and having an attitude of curiosity, like, oh, what look at my body what what does this do what what happens if we try that and what if we use this breath technique mm-hmm. and press that point you know having curiosity about it um rather than it being under the carpet so mm-hmm. if you've grown up in a family where sex was not talked about which is the majority of us you know like let's look at your sex education i want all your listeners to reflect back on how did you learn about sex who talked to you about sex? Probably it was a pamphlet that you got, a very awkward conversation with your parents, your PE teacher, and then porn. Mm-hmm. And your, your weird early- combo of information. So then you see the, the neurosis here of like what what is sex really to you? And we're gonna bring all of that into our relationships, not to mention our sexual trauma. One in three women report an experience of sexual assault. Uh, And then also our media and our cultural conditioning, which even if you're saying, I don't watch porn, I'm not into that, I I know it's not real, blah, 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 it's in the air. It is so thick in the air. It's in the ethers. We all pick it up. We're like antenna. So we pick up these attitudes about sex, our bodies and other people's bodies. I mean, scroll Instagram. Oh my God. We have like 10 year olds scrolling Instagram and like, you can, it's crazy. You can just Google the word pussy and watch what comes up. It's insane. So, um, we're not learning about sex in a healthy way. And how are we supposed to then educate ourselves and then train ourselves in a whole new consciousness once we get into a partnership? Mm. 
you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really tricky. So I would say like, if you are in a partnership or you're wanting one, very important to re-educate yourself about what sex means to you, what you want it to mean to you. Mm. So reinvent it. Mm, okay. So this gets me really curious because so many people listening, you know, at first it's funny, you were talking about sex with such freedom because obviously this is what you do. That I was like, damn, am I the only one that had parents that were like weird at the, at the TV and I was weird and everybody was confused? But you bring up a really good, you know, you kind of affirm like, no, this is something very common. And I think about how, you know, TikTok and all of these different social media formats, like, um, there's no judgment, I think, for people who are using TikTok. But what I did come across was the energy that I was seeing on most of the posts was very much like, look at me, look at me so I can get following followers. Um, most of the time, that was a lot of the frames. It wasn't educational, which is totally fine. Wasn't anything else. It was like a lot of sexuality. So wh where do you draw the line between somebody who's owning their sexuality and somebody who's kind of like leaking and coming from a wounded place? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, it's hard. It's hard to say like, where do you draw the line? Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that in terms of what would be most useful to your listeners is to bring in this word of wholeness. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I, call myself someone who's a proponent of sexual wholeness and sexual wellness. And that means in integration. So back to that middle road, that middle path. Um, so we're not pendulating to one side where sex is totally shameful and repressed. We want there to be a healthy expression, you know, such as like the last Super Bowl with JLo and Shakira, you know, that mm -hmm. that was a powerful expression of female sexuality. And however, yeah, you know, like wh wherever you stand on that, it, that's what it was like it or not or whatever. And then, you know, to pendulate in the other direction is kind of what you're noticing, which is to commodify one's body and one's sexuality simply for the sake of attention, which mm -hmm. we have a whole lot of that going on too. Mm -hmm. So what I'm talking about with wellness and wholeness is the integration of these two extremes to be in ownership and an expression and enjoyment of one's own sexuality, but not to use it, not to commodify it as mm -hmm. a means of gratifying ego. Mm -hmm. And what that means is, is to understand that sex is part of our soul and our psyche. It's like a deep, it's, it's an expression of who we are at our core and at our essence more so than it is something we do for scintillation or for release or for attention. So we can tell, we can sense, right, when we see women and men in a healthy, wholesome expression of their sexuality versus when they're selling it, when it, they're selling it as scintillation. Mm -hmm. You feel the difference. And it, it draws a different kind of attraction to you. Like it, it, the traction feels different. It's kind of like looking at a, um, at a crash scene, like an accident crash scene for, you know, scintillation. You're like, ah, I can't look away, but I can't not look or like, I have to look, <laughs> I have to look at this and, um, versus seeing something that will actually add to your life and make you feel like a more informed, enlightened and inspired person. Beautiful. Okay. I kind of want to talk to you about just what to do to create a more healthy libido, because I know 
there's a lot of badass babes who are listening to this thing and they're working so hard in their career. And if you're like me, I just got a new puppy and he had a nightmare at two in the morning and woke up yelping and I was up at six taking him out. So I'm tired, you know, like a little more tired than usual. And with, with the tiredness does not come libido sometimes for me. (laughs) I'm like, I've got like puppy poop on my shirt and you know, I'm just kind of like not feeling myself. So I know that I'm not the only person like this and it's so human. Um, What do you have to say about like seasons and rhythms? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, as a sexologist, I really would love to defer to you on like, is that really a thing? Or is your belief that, hey, like you're allowed to have a month where you just had a baby or, or two or three or four? I mean, everybody's allowed anything, but in your opinion, professionally, at what point are we hiding from having sex and stepping into our responsibility towards ourselves, our relationship, our empowerment, our happiness, all of that? Yeah. Well, this really is the question of the century, which is why I love it, which is like, how do we have more desire in libido? Yeah. And uh, I love this question because it's so complex and I love to teach the complexities of it because it's, it's not one pat answer. And I'm going to present a lot of different variables for your listeners because I really want this to serve. And if you're listening to this and you've experienced a loss of libido before, yeah, you'll get a lot from this. If you've never experienced a loss of libido, please listen on anyway, because at some point you inevitably will. And when women come to me in my practice or in one of my courses that I teach online, they often will say, I feel dead inside. Like I don't Mm -hmm. desire my husband, um, or I once did and now I don't, or I'm single and I have absolutely zero desire to date. And yet I kind of know I should, like I need to get out there and start meeting people, but where's my desire gone? So let's bookmark some of this information for you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And libido and desire, I'm going to kind of use those terms interchangeably, although they're slightly different, but they'll be interchangeable today. Um, It's like, it's like a cake. There are many ingredients Mm -hmm. and I love um, cake. So this is a great. <laughs> okay. like, like when I said that, I'm like, mm, what kind of cake? Maybe it's like a red, like a red velvet cake. Oh, with a cream uh, cream. I don't even. I've never met a bad cake, so any cake you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're listening to this, maybe you can get to decide what kind of cake your sex is. Maybe like chocolate, whatever tastes yummy to you. So you know, all of these ingredients synergize to create a delicious cake, and um, the go-to where women turn to first, I find in my experience is number one, they begin to believe something's wrong with them. And, um, I've been there and that's kind of what brought me into doing this work is because I lost my libido with my husband whom I loved and we divorced, uh, we divorced and I want to prevent that from happening to you if you're listening. Mm -hmm. And the first approach a woman will take typically is something's wrong with me. I don't feel like having sex. They go to their doctor, their gynecologist, and they say, check my hormones. Get their hormones checked. Hormones are fine. And then they look into something's wrong with my head. Why don't I desire sex? Then they go to therapy. That's when they meet me. Mm -hmm. 
And first of all, very important to understand there's nothing wrong with you and you're not broken. A woman's, a woman's libido will wax and wane through the course of her life, through every cycle, it will wax and wane through different partners or with one, it will wax and wane. It's natural for there to be an undulation. And it might be something to do with your hormones, but it, it also, let's go deeper. It, it less often is about your hormones. And it's really about the relationship between your mind and your body. Mm. Now we know to your question about being tired, the number one libido killer in the world, and you might not like this answer, but you kind of already know it anyway, is stress. Mm -hmm. Stress is kryptonite to a woman's libido. Um, biochemically, it's kryptonite. So when your body has higher levels of cortisol, you're not going to feel like fucking. Can I say yeah. that? You're not yeah. going to feel you're not going to feel like it because look, mother nature knows exactly what she's doing. If you're under chronic stress and, you know, in the primitive brain like you're running from lions and tigers every day, mother nature's like, now is not a good time for you to get pregnant because you're living in a totally unsafe situation and having a child uh, that chances of that offspring surviving are very minimal. And plus it's going to be a detriment to the tribe because you're running from lions and tigers every day. Mm. So mother nature goes on that libido dial. Mm. So our lions, our modern lions and tigers are driving in traffic to work every day, having an overbearing boss, having pressures and deadlines, having a family and a child or a couple of kids and going to work all the time and having arguments with your partner all of like the ordinary everyday stresses that we're enduring are in opposition to a healthy, wholesome sex life. So it's like not very sexy, this advice, but it's very important to take good care of yourself. Make sure you're getting enough sleep, eating well, exercise is so important. Keep moving your body. And ideally, if you're in a female identified body and you're listening to this, Get into some kind of movement that is unchoreographed and not connected to a machine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so, yeah. yeah, yoga, movement, dance, that's what I'm talking about. You know, and it's, it's so sad because I'm listening to you and I'm like, yeah, it makes sense that stress kills your libido. Like, if you're stressed and preoccupied, how do you want to get it on? And it's like we live in a more stressful world than usual. You know what I mean? Like, this time in society. I mean, there's more forms of social media and distraction than we've ever had before. Uh, and also living in a time of, even though, you know, I don't know when this episode will air, but a time of a pandemic, it's like people are, their anxiety is high about their career, their, their income, their partnership, all of it. So their health. So what recommendations do you have for those clients who kind of come into your office saying like, I'm stressed and my libido has gone because obviously it's easy to say like, okay, let's ditch that stress, but, but how, you know what I mean? Yeah. So let's look at it this way. We can remove stress. Well, uh, in a perfect world. Okay. We can look at removing stress, oh, uh, but we can't remove your children. We can't remove your job. We can't like, you know, there are things that are just built into the fabric of our lives, like you're saying. So you can, there are two approaches around stress. You can diminish stress or you can build a resiliency to it. Mm 
Mm -hmm. And so ideally we're looking at a combination of that. If there's some way you can dial down the stress, like invest in a babysitter or have your partner make dinner once a week, you know, giving you a break. So we can build that in. But increasing your resiliency is more often what I have the conversation about. And I'm going to name some ways that you can do that. Certainly, we already named the kind of core physiological approaches, which is we all know this, right? Get enough sleep, move your body, eat well. Mm. Uh, But in addition to that, things that build stress resiliency and the AKA make you feel like fucking (laughs) are... uh, meditation, meditation Mm. and breathing. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very simple. There are some great apps that are out right now, tons of great apps um, to help you with that meditation and breathing and talking to friends. It's very important for women to hang out with other women, especially if there's two or more are gathered. Here's why. When women gather in person together, it raises their estrogen. Cool, huh? So like, um, if you want to balance your hormones, (laughs) go hang out with a couple of girlfriends for a day. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I could go on a whole different podcast with you right now and be like, do we really care about because girlfriends are the best. (laughs) They're the best. There's There's a wonderful study. If you're listening to this, you can Google this. I don't, I don't know the author off the top of my head, but um, it happened a couple years ago in Berkeley. The author studied the effects of women sitting in circles together, talking about sex. And what they found was that women who were not having orgasm, women who had low libido, women who had pain during sex, vulvodynia, all of these improved conditions improved through no other clinical intervention other than putting the women in a room together for an hour and having them talk about sex. Mm -hmm. So do that. Okay. And if you don't have a group of girlfriends that you trust that you can hang out with, whether or not you talk about sex, then please get yourself into a group, find my website. I've got online things going on and I just get women together. We talk about sex. It's the most fun thing ever. So that's one way to increase your stress resiliency. Another way, I want to give you at least one other tool to use to increase your resiliency, and that is to adopt a mindset that uh, is very strong in self-compassion. So installing self-compassion to your work performance, to your relationship status, and to the way that you experience sex. And this is so important because I'm going to drop a little science here for you. So um, I'm a former professor of neuroscience, so I love the science. When you think negative thoughts about yourself, when you think negative thoughts about anyone, anything, any kind of situation, it has a very specific neurochemical correlative, meaning your brain releases a certain very specific set of neurohormones that block your sexual desire. And basically you self you auto-trigger your fight-or-flight response when you have negative thoughts about yourself. So, so this, the same set of physiological responses will trigger as when, let's say, you were walking down the street and some random stranger comes up to you and says, hey, your hair looks like shit today. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> what would you do? How would you feel? You'd be like, yeah. Hello and fuck you. And oh my God, really? Does it? 
I tried everything I could. <laughs> and you'd feel, you'd feel terrible. You'd either like, you'd freak out or you'd hit them or run away or you'd be, like, ignore them, but it'd probably stay with you the rest of the day. So when you look in the mirror and you say that to yourself, the body reacts in the exact same way. Mm. And, and so then the body releases cortisol, stress goes up, libido goes down. So learn to mm. speak kindly to yourself and also about your sex. I have, three mm. mag- I have three magic words in my work and I, you know, inflict it upon every woman who works with me. I'm like, you must believe this. So I really want to give it to you and your listeners. And that is make nothing wrong. Mm. Make nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with your body. Your body is responding intelligently to its circumstances. Mm. So if you've lost your libido, it's for a good reason. And it's an indicator light that there's another system inside your mind or your body that is out of balance. Mm. So can we look at this with a healthy degree of curiosity and respect? That's what I want for you. Okay. Hey, U-Turners, I have a quick but important interruption here. I want to thank Organifi, as always, for sponsoring this podcast episode and just encourage you to check out their site and consider treating yourself to some of their products that have been such a game changer for my health. They just gave us an even bigger discount code at 20% off when you type in the code U-Turn at checkout. And I've been particularly obsessed with Organifi's Pure product. The Pure powder is tasteless but powerful, full of superfood ingredients to help your gut and your mind stay healthy, such as probiotics, lion's mane, aloe vera, ginger extract, to name a few. I put the pure powder in my coffee and it's been helping me stay healthy during these really weird times that we're all in. So if you're looking to easily up your immunity and dodge whatever germs are floating in the air, the pure powder at Organifi is it. Just head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And don't forget to type in your U-Turn code at checkout for 20% off pure. Now let's get back to this week's episode. You know, I think a lot of people have struggled with thinking their body is desirable because I, you know, even for me, as I'm, I'm getting older, it's so weird to see this tip from like my mid to late twenties to my early mid thirties, where suddenly like the wrinkles and lines and, you know, you just kind of look and, you know, it's harder to lose weight, whatever. I mean, I'm still so young, but I know there's so many people who feel that change and it's so hard to think that they're like the hottest thing in town, especially when, if they're single and they're dating, there's all of these stigmas around age and having babies and fertility and are you desirable at this point, all of that. What what tools, books, resources do you love to support people in kind of like reconnecting to their the beauty that we both really know is here? Thank you. Such a great question. Yes, I get it. And I am almost 50, if you can fucking believe okay, that. Yes. So I understand of what you speak now this is very a picture of you to be like what is Eva (laughs) yeah pretty hot at 50 that's pretty amazing yeah I definitely don't look my age and I have to credit great sex for that is the fountain of youth (laughs) to keep you young and beautiful 
<laughs> yeah. And, and I should say pleasure, not great sex, because you don't need to have a sexual partner in order to have adequate pleasure. Pleasure mm-hmm. is like a vital nutrient. It's a vitamin you for our body. Wrinkles, even though this is insane. Like <laughs> you look photoshopped, but you're not. It's insane. Okay. I'm continuing this interview. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I, I love hearing that. Uh, uh, okay. So a couple of things. Number one, I'm going to talk about mindset. Then I'll talk about science. So the, the uh-huh. mindset of this is that women have been trained uh, to understand either consciously or unconsciously that our sex does not belong to us. Mm that our bodies don't belong to us, that in order to be desirable, we have to look a certain way in order to feel pleasure and to feel sexually fulfilled. We need to have these perfect bodies. And if we don't have a perfect body, then we often don't want to show it. So I work with a lot of women who lose libido because uh, they're not in love with their body. And the two are, are very much connected. And for much of the reason that I just explained, when we're judging and criticizing our own body, we're literally attacking ourselves chemically. Mm-hmm. So the antidote to that is to understand sex is for you. Sex is for your pleasure. Sex is for your enjoyment in the act of connecting with another person. And the way that I coach my women is that to see your partner or your lovers as facilitators, not as source. Mm-hmm. So your partner is not sourcing, your pl- is not the source of your pleasure. Your partner is not the source of your pleasure. If you're placing that onto them, him or her, you're in for a lot of trouble because that partner is inevitably going to let you down. They're going to piss you off. They're going to disappoint you sexually. They're going to fuck up. They're going to fart in bed. They're not going to make, you know, dinner for you. And so if you connect your sexual functioning, your sexual health onto them, that's a precarious method. That's what most of us do though. Instead, see your partner as a facilitator of your pleasure. So you're ultimately responsible for your own pleasure and you are the benefactor of your own pleasure. You're the recipient and your partner's there to kind of support you in reaching your ultimate pleasure. Now, how do we get to that ultimate pleasure? And why should we get to that ultimate pleasure? You have no idea, Ashley, how many women I work with that have never had an orgasm, that have faked their orgasms for years and years and years, or have never had an orgasm with another person. It's very, very common. So if this is true for you at all, just know you're not alone. Mm. And I work with a lot of women who will have sex with a partner. And then once he or she leaves, they use a vibrator and get themselves off. Yeah. What is that? Like, there's also so much pressure, I think, around orgasms. Like, what is the science or research behind this that you found? Um, Because I know it's actually quite common that a lot of women, is it that they'll never have one? Like, what's your take on this? Yeah, the problem is, and this will tie into the second point I was going to make with the science. The the problem is, like, women are expected to orgasm like porn stars, which we don't. It's just not the yeah. way our bodies are built. But there's not enough adequate sexual sexual education for women and for men uh, to yeah. understand the way that female sexual arousal really works and the yeah. types of things that we need. Um, often that have nothing to do with direct sex. It's not about how you stimulate a clitoris. It's how you stimulate the heart, Mm -hmm. how you stimulate our mind and our imagination, how you 
nuzzle the back of our neck uh, four hours before we even get to the bedroom. Mm-hmm. So there, there, that's another complex, beautiful puzzle in women's sexual arousal. But 99.99% of people don't understand that because we live in patriarchy. So we haven't been educated. Not only that, but we don't even have the kind of the more global mindset of why a woman's pleasure is important and how to actually get her there. Mm-hmm. And so, but the amazing thing is, is that when we learn it in our own bodies and we learn the science of how the arousal system works and how it works specifically for our body, and we're able to get ourselves into pleasure, not just through using a vibrator every day, like, I mean, pleasure in a broader sense of what brings you joy, what sparks joy in your heart, what makes you want to dance and sing, what lifts your soul. The brain releases what I call the pleasure cocktail, which is a synergy of oxytocin, endorphins and opioids and dopamine. Mm. And when those hormones are rushing through our body and we're in adequate pleasure, not just from orgasm, but from the bath that you took an hour before you had an orgasm, from the foot massage that you asked for from your partner, from the dishes being totally done long before you go to the bedroom, whatever that recipe is for you. When you are drenched in the pleasure cocktail, you feel better about yourself. It's like your body image changes. You have more love for yourself. You're more motivated. You're more uh, incentivized to complete tasks. You have better focus. You have better memory. You have more motivation to finish the project. You're innovative. You're more talkative. We actually find that women in corporate environments, when they have adequate pleasure, I call it vitamin P, (laughs) this pleasure nutrient (laughs) from, from their lives, they actually are far more successful and satisfied in the workplace. Mm. and so we want to get that kicking for you right yes yeah yeah it's it's interesting as I'm listening to you because another question that's kind of coming up is around like myths and stereotypes like there's so many myths and stereotypes and as I'm listening to you a psychotherapist talk about sex and you've been so focused on this it's becoming really clear like it's this weird topic where there's a ton of issues there's a lot of tension Often there will be a a moment of disconnect between couples, and yet we are actually not taught how to be, quote unquote, good at it, how, and and also it's almost like new relationships are expected to um, gel, you know what I mean? Like sexual chemistry. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on sexual chemistry, because in my experience, like you have to learn someone else. But then when we see a movie, it's like, it looks like this perfect, magical thing. Um, What's your take on sexual chemistry versus getting to understand each other's bodies? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And mm, I believe that we create chemistry. We can Mm. create chemistry. Most of us are not taught how to do that. But this is this is truly an art and a science, both how to create it and how to sustain it. God, if if there were a pill <laughs> that I could if I could bottle like how to how to sustain chemistry, oh my god, it'd be so rich. Um, but if you have like this instant rush of chemistry with someone in the beginning, in 
it's like soulmate time, you fall in love, you're having crazy wild sex. Let me ask you and for your listeners to think about that. In most cases, how did that turn out? Mm. Uh, when you're having like an off the rails love affair. Yeah, really you know, like how does, <laughs> how did that work <laughs> out for you? Um, a lot of times it's, it's a combination of uh, meeting someone who's triggering childhood stuff for you. And you go into what I call a sacred contract to trigger the fuck out of each other uh, so that you heal. Um, those, mm-hmm. you know, those early, like stormy, passionate relationships often burn up quickly and go out just as quickly. Mm-hmm. Not all the time. Um, sometimes, you know, you hear stories, people meet their soulmate and, you know, two weeks later they get married and whatever. Sometimes that can happen too. But we, we really are best to invest in learning how to create chemistry with someone who's a solid, eligible, intelligent partner to us. And creating chemistry through the use of polarity and taking your time getting to know them. So what, what, you know, polarity is a whole other topic. And I know you, you had another speaker on this, but, um, meaning learning, (sighs) learning to be with the parts of yourself that your partner brings out in you and how to relate in such a skillful way that you actually bring out the best in them. And in some sense, I'm going to, I'm going to drop you here on that topic because it's too big to go into, but suffice to say, you absolutely can create chemistry. And even if you've been married for 20 years and like the fire's gone, you can definitely, you can definitely reignite it. And I work with couples every single day of my life and I watch this happen. So just Mm -hmm. know that what I don't want you to do is to default with your chemistry, like, Oh, I have it or I don't, you know, I work Mm. with a lot of women who are dating and they're like, uh, they're like, yes, no, swipe right, left, right, left. Yes. No. Yes. The chemistry, no chemistry. And it, it's not so binary, Mm. you know, that, that, especially for women that our, our chemistry is cultivated. It's like a slow burning fire, you know, and think about chemistry as water that boils And it takes a while for that boil to happen. But when you take it slow this way, the boil can stay boiling for a really long time, like indefinitely. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of learning each other's bodies, yes, learning each other's bodies is important. Um, Again, if you're letting passion and novelty carry you in those early days, that's one thing. But that's going to burn out. So... Mm -hmm. I would say learn your own body and not only your body, but your mind is the most important organ. Like the, your biggest sex organ is your brain. Mm-hmm. So your erotic imagination is far more important than the way your body works. And so in addition to getting to know your partner's body, get to know their erotic mindset. What makes them tick? Why do they, why do they have sex? You know, Esther Perel talks about this, about the importance of understanding why you have sex and what do you look to sex to do for you? Is it a reprieve, an escape? Is it for connection? Is it for enjoyment? 
Is it to play out some parts of yourself that you don't ordinarily feel at liberty to express in your day life? And understanding that for yourself and then engaging your partner in a conversation about it. So that there's a um, not only um, an informed sexuality between you, but there's also an informed eroticism, which is different. Okay, so this gets me curious about like just navigating, you know, like, for example, I just moved in with my boyfriend who is such a little angel and I'm adore him. And also, you know, we have this puppy together and we are both working from home in the quarantine situation. Like, what are your beliefs about like sensuality? Like sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, wow, I, I want to get myself together and put on an outfit and like wear makeup and, and just get myself together. And usually it's not just for me, but for him. And I don't know, like, I'm curious what your thoughts are on like these little efforts that people can make for each other to cultivate sexual tension or energy, or if you think that that's not even necessary at all. Oh, it's completely necessary. I love that. So validating. This is just a call for me to validate myself is what this is. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, you know, if you're listening to this and you might be thinking like, I don't want to put makeup on and get dressed up for my partner. I don't even like it when he does that. That might not be true for you, but there's something true for you. There's mm. And if you're a woman listening to this, I want to encourage you to name and to have permission to understand what makes your erotic mind turn on. Because this is the mm-hmm. other face of desire we haven't talked about yet. And that is, what is your partner doing? Um, Again, I'm going to bring Esther Perel into this conversation, and that is, she has a quote that is sort of the operating principle of my entire business. And that is, it's not that women stop wanting sex. It's that they stop wanting the sex that they believe is available to them. Mm. Most people's sex life is sorely lacking in imagination and it's turned into an athletic event. And again, this is because we're living in patriarchy and porn culture. And so uh, to bring desire as a bedfellow into your relationship, to get into bed with desire means often for women to start unpacking, to savor, to explore what are the subtle nuances of eroticism that bring you more alive. And now I'm not even talking about sex. I'm talking about eroticism, your erotic imagination. Are you being teased? Is there anticipation? Are you flirting with your partner? Um, one of my favorite things to do is to teach long-term partners how to flirt with each other again. Oh my gosh. I feel like, (laughs) I don't know why, like that just gave me an image in my head. Like this puppy, we have to take him to like puppy preschool, like obedience school. Mm -hmm. And it's like the funniest thing. It's like all these little baby animals sitting there trying to learn the rules, you know? Oh, so cute. 
Yeah, it's really cute. And that's just what I pictured when you talked about like these couples who have been together for a long time. It's almost like there's these life cycles where we're suddenly like little puppies again, trying to learn how to connect, um, how to flirt, how to play with each other. Like, what do you think happens along the way where we stop doing that? I mean, I guess it's just, we just get comfortable and that's that. We get comfortable and that's that. And as well, let's look at our programming and our belief systems coming into partnership. Now, I work with a lot of women who are single and looking for their partner. And there's Mm -hmm. this belief that, oh, once I get the partner, I'm done. I'm good. I'm locked in. I'm solid. But, you know, I'm here to tell you (laughs) that's far from true. Like once you get the partner, the work has just begun. Because you have to keep flirting with your partner in order to keep your erotic life alive. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you often like, this is a great invitation for the listeners. Like what, what would turn you on? What turns you on about flirting? Is it um, explicit? Like, do you want dick pics? You know, do you want uh-huh. to share, do you want to share like very graphic, not naughty photos? Do you want to be sensually teased? Do you want something romantic, like a dozen roses, or do you want a love letter? Do you and look? Even the voice of my, the tone of my voice changes when I talk about it. Like, so we have these different like flavors of eroticism, and it's not all one size fits all. Hardly every person has it's like their thumbprint, like their erotic thumbprint. <laughs> you know, we mm-hmm. we have a specific recipe, and that could change. You know, changes through the month for women. If they're closer to their menstrual cycle, what might feel erotic for you is Netflix and chill. You know, you just want to be snuggled and that feels incredible. Um, If you're ovulating, you want your hair pulled and your ass spanked because you want something vigorous. So we like different things at different times and different phases of our life as well. We'll want different types of erotic energy. And so Mm -hmm. you can really have fun playing with all of that with your partner and offer your partner different flavors as well. So the same might be true for them and whether you're dating or you're married or whatever and offer them different flavors and see what really lights their fire. So you can make it like this game, uh, but this is how you stoke the fire of your sex life in that it needs to be tended to outside of the bedroom, actually mostly outside of the bedroom. I'd say like, 75% of sex happens outside of the bedroom. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think I said this on another episode and somebody DM me and like left where I was like, men are kind of like a light switch sometimes. And I hate to be stigmatized, but this is just my experience is it's like a light switch, like on or off. And then women are like NASA, like the whole spaceship switchboard, like, Uh you know, like made me breakfast on switch, yeah. like didn't take out switches down switch. Yeah. Like had anxiety at dinner down like switch. Yeah. You're, you know, you're absolutely, you're absolutely correct. And we are generalizing a little bit here because certainly there are exceptions, but uh, because I like science, I look at also the innervation. So look at, um, and Naomi Wolf talks about this in her book, Vagina. So if you're interested in learning more about that, I recommend this book, especially if you're into science. It's very science heavy, if you can get through it. Uh, but 
you know, we're innervated differently between our genitals and our brain. So men are innervated through three major nerve highways, runs from their sex organs to the base of their brain. And it looks like a grid. It's straight up and down. It's like a three-lane superhighway. Women are innervated through four nerve pathways. We have an extra one in there. And that's because we carry life inside of our sex organs instead of our uterus and our, you know, our womb. And so we need to be like extra in touch. And our innervation looks like a tangled mess of seaweed. Mm -hmm. So sort of like that NASA switchboard you're talking about. So there are all kinds of like nuance and texture and context. Women are sexually contextual, meaning our environment and our surroundings are much more important and prevalent in our desire to have sex than it is true for men. And mm -hmm. so women need, like you said, all these other factors in place most of the time uh, to sustain a libido. Women also hold on to resentments generally. Yeah. Okay. So we, yep. we, we hold things, we store it in our body and this is an evolutionary adaptation. It's not anything wrong or bad. It actually helps. <laughs> I'm sorry? Why would evolution do such a thing? Keep women holding resentment in this way? Because it's important that we remember and track sources of safety and danger in order to ah. support the survival of our offspring. So if we eat a red berry and it makes us throw up, we're going to remember where the red berries are and not to eat them in case one of our children eats, eats them. So mm -hmm. we sort of, we curate the wellness of our tribe in this way. And we come back and we tell all the members of the tribe, don't eat red berries. Mm. Got it. Okay. What about men? They're just like, fuck it. Let's eat the red berry. Yep. We forgot. So, so men are the hunters mm -hmm. and, and women are the gatherers and foragers. It, generalizing here, but this is how we've adapted in our bodies and our muscle mass in, in the way that our brains are, are formed. And so men are the hunters. What's more important for men is to have strength for short, strong bursts of energy. Mm. And also the, like the concentration of energy and blood flow in their brain goes to these large muscle masses instead of the frontal cortex, which stores and remembers everything. Women are the wisdom keepers of the tribe. So not only do we remember not to eat the red berries, but we remember tradition. We remember the songs. We remember the rhythms. We remember what um, supports our children in their immunity and in their wellness. So like we have this incredible memory bank for men who are the hunters and the killers and the protectors and the providers it's not so important that they remember. It's important that they kill and that they're strong. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like women are like the librarians of the tribe. Yeah. Yeah. This is so fascinating. I could go on about this topic for so long. You're just such a wealth of knowledge. Like I'm sure a lot of people listening right now are kind of wondering, and, and I want to close out with this question and then ask you um, maybe if there's anything I forgot that you want to share, but I, I, I have to ask because so many people, I think, wonder this, um, like, and, and I already know what you're going to say, but a lot of people say like, how many times a week is sex normal? Like at what point are we, you know, and, and everybody has a different normal. So I already know that that is going to be an answer, but 
Do you have any research on like what you think is, or, or an opinion on what you think is healthy as far as frequency goes for couples? I had to, Eva. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, just like, I want to give you the, I want to give you the answer, but I can't. It's like, it's, it's what, what is fulfilling to you? What is fulfilling to you and what curates your relationship? I, w- I will say this, please, women, do not force it, do not fake it, and do not endure it. Mm. Uh, ask for what you want and, and learn to ask in a way that empowers your partner and doesn't degrade him or make him wrong. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Eva. Where can everybody learn from you, work from you, work with you, um, find you? Yeah, come find me at evaclay.com, E-V-A-C-L-A-Y.com. You can also follow me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is simply evaclay, all one word. And let's keep talking about this. I'd, I'd love to meet you in jam. Yeah, Wonderful. Thank you again for all your time. This has been so valuable. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. In the meantime, if you heard about any resource that you're interested in from one of our guests, you can find it listed in our show notes on the podcast tab of my website, ashleystahl.com. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. On that page, you'll also see our free quiz to help you discover what career path you're actually meant for. And of course, we cannot thank you enough for written podcast reviews. I read every single single one. I get so motivated from reading your words and it just means the world to me that you take a moment if you have an Apple device and you write an actual review for me. Thank you so much for doing that. Appreciate you being here and cannot wait to connect with you next week.